Let's prepare to receive the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, just continue in this heart of worship. Let's keep our eyes and our ears attentive as Pastor Steve, Elder Steve, brings us his last, yeah, whatever Steve, Elder, Elder in the sense, you know. That was not funny. I don't know why you're laughing. It was funny. Great job. We love you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't make up for it now, Sam. Um, so I got lots of comments this morning on my nautical outfit. Um, I want to thank you, first of all, for noticing. <laughs> and second of all, uh, I, I, up until 4 o'clock this morning, I was on the beach in Michigan. So I drove in this morning to do this, and I want to say something. It's so fun to not be able to wait to be at church. That's, amen? I hate to miss church. So getting up for a morning proves that, I think. Okay, so welcome. Um, If you're visiting with us, we're at the end of a four-week series. This will tie it up this week. If you missed some of these, I really would encourage you, not because, uh, well, because of the content. It's all about Jesus, and there's a lot of really great things that we're trying to go through and finding in the scriptures and go back and pick these up. We're a Bible-believing, note-taking church, so you know the drill. Take out your Bibles, something to take notes with. We're showing the Lord. We have great expectation that he is going to teach us something that we're going to want to write down and we're going to want to remember. So this week we finish our four-week series that we have titled Only Jesus. Four weeks to focus on the many, many, many things that Jesus uniquely was able to give to us, gave to us, and gives to us as the children of God. Clarity and direction in a world that is confused and searching for answers. Grace, grace for forgiveness of sin, but grace also sustaining grace to live every day in the joys and the challenges of life. Grace for then, yes, and grace for now, yes. Jesus was uniquely able to make God knowable and visible to us. We can see God by looking in the face of Jesus. We can know what God is like and who God is by going through Jesus's encounters with different people in the scriptures. We get to look at Jesus as he encourages and affirms, as he corrects and warns and rebukes, as he, by the company that he kept or the teachings that he shared or the people that he touched. And by looking at all of this throughout history, people have sought to know what is God like, who is God, and Jesus was sent in order that we could see this is what God is like. This is who God is. Jesus explained God, made him knowable, and actually made him visible. Only Jesus could do that. And the title this week, only Jesus, hash mark, I don't even know what hashtag means. I know. See, you know, there's just some things I need to leave alone. Yeah, so anyway, only Jesus, whatever, victory. (laughs) Okay, antagonist or enemy, someone or something that actively opposes or is hostile to someone or something, an adversary. Victory, achievement of mat or mastery of or success over an antagonist, enemy, or adversary. This week, we will close out the series by looking at the victories that Jesus purchased for us 
on the cross. Victories that only, only Jesus could give to us. Please stand with me as we read the word of God together. I'm going to read Isaiah 51 or 53 verses 1 through 12. You won't be standing that long, but it's a pretty good stretch. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with rich men in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge and the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Lord, something we're very familiar with, but still, the truth of it in words, so very powerful. As we dig into this, the cost and the victories, would you penetrate our hearts anew with all that you have done for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. This week, we're going to look at the victories of the cross. Sometimes I hear the cross discussed and described as if it was somehow symbolic. That the cross was symbolic of God's love for us. That the cross symbolized God's victory over sin. That sin had a hold of us. The cross symbolizes and represents Jesus taking the ugliest of our sins on himself. That his death symbolizes the death of sin. His resurrection symbolizes the victory over sin. And that we get to live forever. And I don't want to sound edgy or angry, but I want to say to us very strongly, there was nothing, nothing symbolic about the cross. If you look at the synonyms for symbolic, it means figurative, illustrative, allegorical, 
like it was showing something. The cross was not meant to show anything. It was not symbolic at all. The cross did something. There was nothing symbolic about it. It was an event, and all that happened was very, very real. Nothing illustrative about it. If we look at the very real pain, if you look at those synonyms and then look at the very real pain and sorrow of Jesus as he headed to the cross in Luke 22, 41 through 44, it says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and began to pray saying, father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Jesus was very aware of what lie ahead for him. I watched The Chosen, and I loved, for the first time, I realized as I watched The Chosen, it shows Jesus actually walking into Jerusalem and looking up at the people that had been crucified. And I was overtaken of realizing, oh my gosh, I don't think that he saw crucifixions and knew that's where I'm headed. It was very real and it was very purposeful. And Jesus asked the father if he could be spared what was coming. Jesus asked if there's any other way. Is there any other way? But then submits to God's will. Jesus prayed fervently so that he would have the strength and the courage to fulfill the role that he was sent to accomplish. Jesus was in agony. And Jesus was aware of the battle and the cost ahead, and he sweat blood. That should take away anything about symbolism and know what was happening was very, very real. What was ahead was so grievous and so painful that the father sent an angel to minister to his son to give him strength and courage for what was ahead. The cross was not symbolic or illustrating something. The cross was a battleground. For a winner-take-all war with evil. And that's how we must see it. And that's what our Savior took on for us. The cross had to happen. It had to be brutal. It had to be just like it was. It had to include ridicule. It had to include pain, suffering, separation, and the death. And it had to be Jesus. All of it had to be just like it was. And it was brutal. There was nothing, nothing symbolic about the event. Jesus went to war on the cross that day, a war that we could actually only partly see. We saw some of the really hard parts, but there was another war going on in the spiritual realm that we could not see that day. He went to war. When it was done, he gave us what only he could give us. Only Jesus could take on every enemy, every antagonist that would ever try to destroy us physically, emotionally, spiritually. Only he could take them all on and give us victory over them. 
Only Jesus could do that. In my opinion, we have often sometimes oversimplified the cross. We have focused mainly on Jesus going to the cross to pay for our sins, to purchase eternal life for me and for you. Now, this is indeed true, and you cannot talk about the cross without talking about forgiveness of sin and the purchase of eternal life. Let me say that again. You cannot talk about the cross without talking about the forgiveness of sin and the purchase of eternal life. But it is not the only thing that was won on the cross that day. But Colossians does say in Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificates of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, that's our sin, having nailed it to the cross, and on the cross, Jesus took all our sin of past, present, future. He called it all to the cross and nailed it to the cross, and it died there, covered in his blood. That's big. And there's more. There's more that happened than just the cleansing of our sins. Jesus gave us the victory over Satan and every one of his demons that day. Remember the scriptures, what the demons would say when they would encounter Jesus? They would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We know who you are, holy one of God. Why are you tormenting us? It's not time yet. Before humans knew, the demons knew exactly who Jesus was, and they knew exactly what he could do. And they often were saying to him, it's not time yet. They knew a time was coming. The cross was that time. The cross was that battle. Everything that evil had was thrown at Jesus that day. Everything. On the cross, the Son of Man presented himself helplessly to every evil thing and everything evil could do. And it did its worst to him on the cross that day. The physical pain of that day was excruciating. The spiritual attacks on him that day in the spiritual realm, we don't even have words, I don't think, to properly describe the spiritual attack that on him and the great cost of his separation from the Father and all of the things that Jesus endured, every pain, every form of suffering, every form of degradation, every form of torment, every form of ridicule and attack that was all deservedly headed to us was poured out on him that day. And he took it. He took it all. If he comes down like the leaders, the religious leaders taunted him to, if he saves himself like the thief asked him to, if he calls down angels that day like he was entitled to, if he comes down and takes his rightful place as king instead of dying on the cross as a lamb, everything that he took comes to us. But he didn't. It was all poured out on him. It would have come to us, but he stayed. He bore it all, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And he stayed, and he suffered, and he died. For real. But that wasn't the end of it. Because where the world saw defeat, evil knew there was a victory. <laughs> That's what we couldn't see. Because in the spiritual realm, evil knew that there was a victory. When the soldiers taunted and the Jewish leaders tempted and the thief begged, no one, no one wanted Jesus to respond more than evil did, than Satan did, than his demons did. Nobody was cheering that Jesus would respond to those taunts and that begging and that ask than, than Satan was because they knew if he stays on that cross, if he stays on that cross, after they're done, it was Jesus' turn. And it was. In Colossians, Paul describes it this way. And when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. After it, Jesus victoriously puts them all on display because it's finished now. Jesus did not just take what evil had thrown at him. He was victorious over evil and everything evil could possibly ever come up with. That's what was defeated. That's the victory. And then he takes that victory and guess what he does? He gives it to us. takes his victory and he gives it to us. Jesus was victorious over evil that day and on that cross he gave his victory to us because on the cross, because of Jesus, we now have guarantee of victory over evil. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Only Jesus could do that. But there's more. There's still something else that happened on the cross. There's more that happened. If you look throughout history of God and his people, there were periods of what they called exiles. Periods of forced removal of God's people from the presence of God because of their self-sufficiency, because of rebellion, because of confusion, whatever. There are periods of excuse me, exile all through the scripture. And in fact, during Jesus' time, the people are actually in exile again. Even though they're in their homeland... They're under the powerful rule of a Roman occupying force. So there are these exiles from Egypt and from Israel to Assyria and from Judah to Babylon. And now they're living in another exile under Rome. And Jesus on the cross ended any possibility of God's children ever being taken into exile ever again. Jesus on the cross and did any possibility of any child of God ever being separated from God ever again? 
Matthew, this is actually what Jesus was referring to when he said in the Last Supper, Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The cross established the new covenant. And the new covenant was a guarantee from God. No more separation from me. My presence will always be available to you. No more exiles, no more forced separation, because on the cross, the kingdom of God officially was inaugurated and started, and it's moving now, and it cannot be stopped. And Isaiah says it will be, come to be, through the zeal of the Lord. We will never be separated. In John 2.19, Jesus had said, destroy this temple. Three days, I'll build it back up again. You see, throughout history, God had met this people. They met Moses on Mount Sinai. Then he met them in the tabernacle that moved all the time. Then he met them in the temple that Solomon built. But all of that stuff was temporary. And it could be defiled, and it often was defiled. And the temple was built and destroyed many times through history. And on the cross, Jesus says, no more. No more. Because the temple of God would be established, purified, and become inseparable from God's people because the temple of God would now be God's people. That also happened on the cross. Because it was the cross that paved the way for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's been talked about since even the beginning. In Numbers, in 1117, it said, Then I will come down and speak with you, and there I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and I will put him upon them. It was the victory of the cross that paved the way for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us forever. How great a gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, John 16, 7, Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, I cannot send the helper to you. He will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Short, Jesus says, it's so advantageous, it's better than having me personally with you. Now, to me, that pretty much seals the deal. Now, I want to tell you, I minimized the power of the Holy Spirit for a lot of years in my walk as a Christian. It grieves me. Maybe for a decade or more, I minimize the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. And I don't know why some still do, because it seems like Jesus on the cross purchasing, it seems like Jesus saying it's better than me being with you personally. It seems like that kind of seals the deal. That the Holy Spirit's a game changer. Come with a new covenant. Paid for by the blood on the cross. Cleansed us so that the Spirit can live with us forever. Now, how big a deal is the gift? Well, let's just take a quick verse through the scriptures. According to us, the Holy Spirit, he leads us. He guides us into all truth. He takes us what only Jesus knows, and he discloses it to us. He cannot ever be revoked. He can never be taken away. He makes it possible for the gifts of God to serve the people of God. He speaks our calling into us and over us like he did to Barnabas and Paul. He continually fills us with joy and himself. 
He empowers us to be witnesses of the things of God, and he speaks directly to our spirit to assure us, you are a child of God. He enables us to see the very glory of God. Only Jesus' victory on the cross accomplished all of this. He reestablished the temple forever, never to be destroyed again never to be removed again. Thank you, Jesus. Only he could do that. And there's more. There's more that was accomplished on the cross that day. See, along with the forgiveness of sin, the end of exile, along with the securing of the temple and the the gift of the Holy Spirit in us forever, Jesus on the cross redeemed our purpose and our vocation. On the cross, Jesus redeemed all of us as image bearers of God. Because that's what we were created to be. In Genesis, God said, I'm going to create them, male and female, in my image. And then he says he's going to send us out, go and be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. Be my image bearers. God created us as his image bearers on the earth. We were to bring his love, his healing, his justice, and his mercy, and his image, and his name. But human beings got lost very lost. And so one theologian puts it this way, that God sent out a rescue party, and that was Israel. So the people, human beings got lost, God sent out a rescue party, Israel. Now God's people will be my image bearers on the earth. The problem is Israel got lost, very lost. And so God sent his son to rescue the rescuers. Jesus on the cross did not just wash away our sins. We were lost to our original purpose, mission, and promise, and Jesus brought us back. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me. I chose you, and I have appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. That's the picture of their establishment of being image bearers of God under the power of God. On the cross, Jesus went, grabbed his people that had gone over the cliff, pulled them back up, set them down, cleansed them, made them righteous for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and said, now, go and be what you're created to be, image bearers of God. And this time, I'm going with you. How cool is that? That was accomplished on the cross as well. Only Jesus' victory on the cross could redeem us as image bearers of God. Now, every topic I taught on these last four weeks and today is true. And not one of them did I teach completely. Not even close. The riches and the glory that is available to us through Jesus, it just goes on and on and on. What I taught on the gift of clarity and direction and Jesus bringing clarity and understanding in a confused world, I barely touched on it. When I talked to us about what we receive in the grace of Jesus Christ, barely scrape the surface. 
when I talked about that Jesus shows us who God is and that we can know God, that would take years and years and years. I never desired, even hoped, to fully explain all that is happening available to us through Jesus. I just hoped that we would taste and see that there's always more. That it's more than we can even imagine. I had three things that I hoped for. One, that this, that we as a body would be strengthened in our fullness of what we are saying when we answer to any issue or any struggle. Jesus. That we'd be strengthened that that is not a little answer. That is a big answer. You see, the world often looks, I know you guys have probably heard the joke, you know, in a Sunday school class when a teacher comes in and decides to give her class a break for the day. And so she says, we're just going to take a break from the Bible study and I'm just going to give, <clears throat> I'm going to tell stories. And she says, okay, class, um, what's, what's furry and climbs on trees? And not one child raises her hand. She's like, wow. She goes, okay, what's furry, has a big bushy tail, climbs on trees, nothing. She goes, okay, what's furry, climbs on trees, a big fleshy tail, stores up nuts for the winter. She waits, and finally one brave little boy raises his hand, and she goes, he goes, I don't know, teacher, sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but I know the answer must be Jesus. <laughs> the world often thinks that our answer of Jesus is a squirrel answer. Uh, the world often thinks that when we say Jesus, it's a simplistic, squirrel, religious answer. I hope we're seeing in this series, it's anything but that. You see, yeah. So it may be, and I don't say this with malice, it's just simply they don't understand. But that shouldn't make us change our answer. Just be confident. In the answer, it is Jesus. I had an Easter discussion one time where some clients were taking me out to dinner, and we started to talk. They knew I was a Christian, and they literally said to me, oh, we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to take away your religion for you on, your, on a holiday that's so important. I, was like, I said, I'm willing to take that chance. Let's talk. <laughs> and the reality is, and I don't mean this with malice. I really don't, is most people just don't know. And we get to show them differently. But to do that, we have to be fully confident that our answer of Jesus, it goes on and on and on and on. Our answer of Jesus has history, weight, miracles, gifts, healing, power, and glory behind it. It is possible. It is possible that our answer of Jesus may be beyond people's understanding. It is not possible ever that our answer of Jesus is below their understanding. And don't ever let him make you feel there. You stand confidently on Jesus because he's everything he said he was. Second thing I hope for in this series is that we would be renewed and empowered with a new, deeper understanding and empowerment of the claims we are making when we say our answer is Jesus. You see, few will deny the existence of Jesus and far fewer would ever come out against Jesus. Instead, Jesus has been relegated to a wonderful rabbi, 
a great moral teacher, something in that category that's very safe for the world. You'll hardly find people that will come out against Jesus. But what they've done is relegate him to a category of a wonderful teacher, wonderful rabbi, or maybe even the best moral teacher. Well, I hate to tell you that is not an option that Jesus gave us. Jesus to the world is safe in any one of those categories. But Jesus did not allow for anyone to relegate him there. And I don't believe Jesus ever meant to be safe. Jesus did miracles. Jesus healed diseases. Jesus rebuked and corrected the leaders of the day. Jesus said he was a king and birthed a kingdom. Jesus said he existed before Abraham. At his trial, a high priest said to him, I ask you, are you, by the living God, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus' answer was so clear that the leader ripped his robes because he knew he had just heard that Jesus claimed He had claimed equality with God. C.S. Lewis, after his reluctant conversion to Christianity, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he speaks about the mistake that culture has made, and he firmly calls it out on how unreasonable it is. He writes this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about us, about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. And I'm telling you, you can stand on that. Calling him a great moral teacher is just ridiculous. You don't make the claims he made and get to be called a great moral teacher. Jesus forced a decision, and I believe he meant to. And the world has to decide. You either are who you say you are, or you're crazy or you're evil. Third, I hope that this series would confirm the power and promise in our answer of Jesus. The main reason for this series, my biggest prayer, my biggest hope for this series was to thank you and encourage you as a body. Because I see your focus on Jesus, and so do others. Fairly soon after we moved into this church, a divinity student who was after his PhD came and visited church because a part of his PhD paper, he had to visit several churches in the city. And then he had to write a paper on what was the distinguishing mark between those churches. And so he just had to observe, was it the preaching? Was it the worship? Was it the programming? Was it the children's program? We were so blessed when we got to read his paper and his observation of us here at Antioch Indy. Here's was his observations. He said, Antioch carries a great faith and expectation that God is on the move. 
He said he could feel the joy of our anticipation of seeing God. And then he said the thing that has stuck with me the most. He said, you can't be among them for more than a few minutes without them referring, talking about worshiping and glorifying Jesus. Way to go. Way to go. One of our early words in this church was that we would be Jesus people. I wanted to do this series to say way to go. And there's more. And let's keep going after it together. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep Jesus in the middle of everything we do. To have our audience, audience always and only be Jesus. And to have anyone who walks in our doors experience Jesus. I want to say I think it's happening. I hope this series will confirm to us that as much as we believe, as much as we believe that there's no life anywhere else except Jesus, as much as we understand our Jesus to be, as much as we know he has done for us, there's more. There's more. Let's pray together. Stand with me. Would you stand with me, please? Um, somebody shared a word. Our, response, our prayer team is going to come forward this morning and there's been a lot of words shared this morning and they all have to do very much with what we're talking about this morning and one word that we got from one of our people is that there is a word of saturation over our people today and I think it's just the saturation of the truths of Jesus and so I don't want to make this about anything except to say if we want more let's come forward and get some prayer for it it's not a counseling time. This is just simply the request to get prayed for. They get more of what we've been talking about the last four weeks. I know I'm going to get prayer. Let me pray for us, and then the worship team will pray, and then our, team, our prayer team will be forward and come and get prayer if you need it, if you want it. Lord, thank you for the truth of all that you are, and that it is truly not fully searchable. We will look to you for a lifetime and we will gain and gain and gain and gain and gain. And when we get to heaven, find out there is even more. So fill us, Lord, with that confidence that you are always here. You're always enough and there's always more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.